What a precious thing to gather together in the house of God with the people of God. To have broken before us <clears throat> the word of the living God. A special welcome to those family and friends and guests here at our Nine Mile campus. A special welcome to those of you worshiping with us this morning at our Spanish Trail campus. It's wonderful to have everybody in church today, and let's put our hands together and welcome each other to the house of God this morning. Amen. Take your Bible, if you would, and be finding Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, about halfway into your New Testament. Uh, we continue this morning a series that we began last week called Don't Waste Your Life, and today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the basics of life. This is really a rudimentary foundational message that everybody needs to know and everybody needs to understand, particularly as it relates to living life with meaning and living life on purpose. When it comes to human existence, I think people have basically been asking the same question for centuries and centuries, even millennia for that matter. And uh, they've been asking questions about God, they've been asking questions about life and human existence and what happens when we die. And I think the most commonly asked question that people tend to grapple with may be the most fundamental question of all in life, and that has to do with the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why do I matter? Does life really have a purpose? And depending on who you ask that question to, you'll get all kinds of different answers. I've been amazed through the years as a student, and I'm a lifelong learner, lifelong student, but particularly as a young man when I was officially a student, reading about how many supposedly smart people really have come to the conclusion that life really doesn't have a purpose at all, that there is no logical, rational explanation to why we're here. You have philosophers like Nietzsche who have determined that God is dead. and I mean, can you imagine being a philosopher declaring that God is dead? I wouldn't want to stand before God having made that accusation. Other philosophers like Camus from France uh, determined that life had no meaning, no purpose uh, in life. This was all that there was in life, and he wrote a lot about the absurdity of life. He said that is why life fundamentally is absurd. And many people, of course, over the last century, century and a half, 200 years, have bought into that lie. And it certainly may explain why in the world that we live in today, uh, over 20% of all teenagers today are clinically depressed. I mean, a, a teenager ought to be a lot of things, but depressed is not one of them. They ought to be hopeful, they ought to be optimistic, they ought to be forward-looking, but over 20% are clinically depressed, and suicide is the number three cause of teenage death in the world today. And it makes perfect sense, because if life doesn't have any meaning... If you can't understand why you're here, where you've come from, if life has no purpose, then really what's the point of living? But I'm here to make a wonderful statement this morning. There is a meaning to life. Life does have purpose, uh, and life does have meaning, and you can know why you're here, and you can know uh, why you're here, and you can know where you're going when you die. And knowing those fundamental, what I'm calling the basics of life, particularly from God's perspective, I think it's just absolutely crucial. You'll spin your wheels if you don't have a solid understanding in what we're going to talk about today. And so we talk about this from time to time because I think that if you miss this, you'll have a really hard time getting rooted in the truth of the Word of God. 
And so I want to talk with you for a few minutes today in order that we might create a little bit of hope and help you keep from spending your life aimed at the wrong target because if you spend your life aimed at the wrong target, as we said last week, spend your life climbing a ladder to the top, a ladder to success, only to find that when you're 65, 70, 75 years old, that ladder's been leaning against the wrong wall all of those years, then you'll have ended up wasting your life. And we don't want anybody to waste their life. Time is precious, and nobody should waste a moment because time is precious. We are only here for a finite period of time to be difference makers in the lives of others and for the kingdom of Christ. So let's begin this morning at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Let's just get us started. We'll look at several scriptures today, but let's begin right here. This is just a power-packed passage of scripture. Everybody ready to read? Say amen. amen. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, using that passage just as a springboard to get us started, let me share with you this morning the basics of life in three fundamental dimensions. These are three things that you have to know if you're to live life intentionally, on purpose, and fulfilling the purpose for which God has created you. The first thing that I want you to remember this morning is that my life is not an accident. Your life is not an accident. You didn't just pop up out of the cabbage patch, brothers and sisters. You're here intentionally by the will of God. You are here on purpose according to the plan and the will of God. And that's contrary to so much of the conventional wisdom of our time. Let me just say this morning that you and I are not the result of random uh, genetic mutations that originated billions of years ago in a scum-filled pond. That's what the world will teach you, and that's what the world has taught us, and what the world is teaching our kids. And it's no wonder that so many are acting like animals today when we're taught that we have been descended from animals. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Finding purpose in life and understanding the meaning of life and knowing that your life indeed has meaning begins with the understanding that you were created, that you're not an accident. You were intentionally designed and created by an all-powerful, loving God, almighty God, who created you simply because he loved you and he wants to have an everlasting relationship with you. Now, what you need to notice from the passage here in Ephesians 1 that we just read the most important thing there is the activity of God in your life. How active God is and how active God has been in the person that you are and in the person that you are becoming. 
It's even more obvious up earlier in the chapter in verses 4 and 5. Notice those with me. Even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see the purpose there? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I mean, every phrase there is just radically important. Did you catch it? Because of God's great love for you, God chose you to be a part of his family. And not only did God choose you before you were ever born, the Bible says here that he chose you before he even created the world. Ponder that for just a minute. I mean, that'll blow your mind when you think about it. God made you because he loved you. God made you in order to love you. And he made you, here's the deal, knowing every stupid decision that you'd ever make in your life. He went ahead and made you knowing because he's an omniscient God who knows all things before they ever even happen, knowing every silly decision that you made, every sin that you would commit, God still went ahead and made you because he loves you. And he wants to connect with you. And God longs to have a relationship with you. This is where I think understanding your purpose really begins because here's the thing. If you take God out of the equation, as most people tend to do today, then here's the deal. Take God out of the equation and you have no meaning to, uh, to life. Many have said that. <clears throat> as far as I can tell, philosopher after philosopher said, there is no real purpose there is no real meaning to life. And you take God out of the equation, what are you left with? Hopelessness. I preached one funeral this week and attended another. And those are the hardest things in the world if you're without hope. Now, funerals can be joyful times of celebration, can't they? If you know Christ and you have received the gift of eternal life, there's no reason to be too sad at a funeral. You ought to be sad. You cut a Christian on the heart and they're going to weep just as you cut a human on the finger and they're going to bleed. But you ought not really be that sad if it's a person that knows the Lord because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So ours is a hopeful sadness over and against the rest of the world which faces death with a hopeless sadness. But you take God out of the equation, that's the only thing you have to look forward to is life forever in a cold, cold ground absolute hopelessness. Bertrand Russell was one of the great atheist philosophers of the last century, and he said this, unless you assume the existence of God, the question of life's meaning and purpose is what? Irrelevant. There is no meaning and purpose if you take God out of the equation, and that's why the fundamental starting point for a biblical, Christ-centered worldview begins right here. It begins with the understanding there is a God, God exists, and I can know God, and God can know me. That's where all Christian theology begins. That's the foundation of who we are as a people. A.W. Tozier said, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. I can tell you a lot about your life based on your testimony concerning God or the lack thereof. Nothing's more important than what you believe about God because everything else flows from your understanding and confession that there is a God. We believe that. As the confession says, I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where it all begins. We believe that God is 
that God exists. Two, we believe that God can be known. You and I can know God. There are fundamental ways to know God. We know God through creation. We know God through conscience. I mean, every person comes into this world with this bent toward God where we know fundamentally what's right and what's wrong simply because we're created the image of God. God has given everybody a conscience. The thing about human existence is most people suppress their conscience. They push it down. They don't want to respond to it in the way God wants them to respond to it. They'd rather go their own way. And so the Bible says in Romans 1 that humanity by and large has suppressed the truth. We push it back down into the box. But we can know God. To deny God means to suppress conscience and to resist the created order. So God can be known through creation. God can be known through conscience. And certainly God can be known through his revealed word. That's the most specific way we come to know God and his plan for our life. So those are three fundamental things that God has done in order to reveal himself to all people. And this is why when it comes to the purpose in life, the most significant passage in the Bible in terms of understanding why you're here so that you don't spin your wheels throughout the majority of your life and end up wasting your life, it all begins with the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth, and that includes you and me. Genesis 1:27 God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and I'm just saying if those verses are not in Genesis chapter 1 we're really not having this discussion today because this is where it all begins all of life begins with God and that's especially true with human life and that's why we value life so much and that's why we resist those lovingly who would seek to devalue life. I saw a video on a social media platform just a few weeks ago where in the Netherlands, where they do not value life fundamentally unless it's a healthy life, there was a man representing the government in front of a chalkboard standing with the father, and beside the father was a young man who was born with Down syndrome. He was in his adolescent years standing there, and the Dutch government's representative was, was scratching out figures on a board so that that father and that son could know the cost that society was having to bear for that young man's life. And he came up with a final figure of like $68,000 a year in front of the child. And I just wanted to throw the phone through the window when I saw that. Because that's a blatant statement of where much of the world stands today with respect to life. And I'm just saying, if you're a random accident of nature, the argument can be made that you and I really don't matter. And you end up with videos like that being posted. It's outrageous to God. And so those who don't value life have either marginalized God or they try to eradicate him altogether. David writes in Psalm 139, For you formed my inward parts. You, God, knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully what? Made. Circle that word made. <clears throat> Intentionality. 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's just such an important verse. Before the creation of the world. It's what Paul echoes here in Ephesians 1. Before the created order, God already knew who you were. He knew what your name was. He knew everything about your life before the heavens and the earth were ever hung in place, the Bible says. Before your life even was. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is the first of life's basics, man. This is what you have to know to understand a biblical worldview. I ain't no accident. I was created. I was created on purpose, and I was created by God with a plan in mind, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to what? Prosper you. Plans for your benefit, plans to give you a future and a hope. And with that in mind, it speaks to another of life's basics. I'm not an accident. Secondly, my life's really not about me, at least not fundamentally. Now, there's some personal needs that you'll have to attend to in life, and the Bible often speaks to the importance of planning and thinking ahead and organizing and meeting your family's responsibility and the needs of your life and the life of your family. But sometimes we, most of the time, much of the time, we tend to go overboard with that, and we become the center of the universe, don't we? Life becomes all about us, and this is why we use words like me and my and mine so often. Sin has kind of helped to create that. But the Bible says here in Ephesians 1.12 that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, I love this phrase, to the praise of what? His glory. To the praise of His glory. Let's say that out loud together. Ready? Together. To the praise of That's why we exist. Life's not fundamentally about me. It's about what my life does in reflection to the God who has given me life. And that makes sense. If my life comes from God, if I've been intentionally created by God, if my life is sustained by God, then my life should exist for God. That's the whole point of your life, not to make a name for yourself. Man, we spin our wheels, we, we hustle and bustle and come and go, and life becomes all about us. And we try to make a name for ourselves so people will remember who we are. But that's not the point of life. The point of life is to reflect well on God, to make much of Him. It'd be okay if somebody put that on my tombstone. He made much of Christ. Because really, that's the only thing you can carry with you into eternity. I like how Paul ends the 11th chapter of Romans. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. That's called a doxology. And it's a beautiful way of kind of tying together the first 11 chapters of Paul's monumental letter to Romans. From him, through him, and for him are all things, and to him be honor and glory forever and ever and ever. That ought to be the marching mantra of your life. My life is all about the glory and honor of God. Now, you know what it means to glorify God, don't you? It just means to set God off as the primary object of your attention and your affection so that when somebody else looks at your life, they know there's no way to misunderstand that God matters to you. That God is important to you, that God is the center of your life. 
whenever you glorify something, you set it apart so that it gets maximum attention in life. So that if your life is all about your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're going to paste your office with pictures, right? And I'm not saying don't do that because those people are very important. But what are you doing? You're glorifying that person. You're revealing that that person receives a focus in your life. They're the object of your concern, object of your attention, the focus of your affection in life. When we were in Amsterdam just a few weeks ago, we had about two and a half hours to kill between meetings. We'd been in a meeting all morning, and we had an evening meeting set up with some college students, but we had a little time to kill, and we were right there by the National Museum of the Netherlands, the Rijksmuseum. And you know, if it's a museum in the Netherlands, if it's a Dutch museum, it's going to be about the Rembrandts, right? And so I looked at Seth, and he looked at me, and I said, well, we probably need two days for this museum, but let's see what we can do in two hours. And so we went in, and, and I took the, and I know how to get to places that I want to see, and so I said, let's find the Rembrandts, and we'll just knock them out in the little bit of time that we have. The whole third floor, and man, you get off the elevator the third floor, and there's this colossal Rembrandt. And I mean, there's no way to miss it. You get off, it's right there at the end of the hall, step off the elevator. It's the same way in most every museum. You could go to the museum in Florence, and it's the same thing with Michelangelo's David. You go to the Louvre, it's the same thing with the Mona Lisa. There's like a convergence, and everything points there. They don't put those paintings down in the basement and make you take a flashlight to find them. They glorify them. They put them in places where they can be most obviously seen and most obviously noticed. And such is the case with our lives. We glorify the things that are most important to us. But you're not created fundamentally for another human relationship. You weren't created fundamentally to glorify your kids or to glorify your property, to glorify your home. You weren't created fundamentally to glorify your work, although some people do by working 80, 90 hours a week. But that's not why you were put here. Not one of those things are reason that you were created. You were created not to make a name for yourself, but to glorify the name of God. Somebody described failure one time as being successful at the wrong thing. You can be successful at a lot of things and end up, as I've said many times, a successful failure. The world is full of a lot of successful failures who will have ended up standing before God having wasted their life. They would have made a bunch of money, acquired a bunch of property, built more acquaintances and relationships that they could count in a day, but totally wasted their life because they missed the whole purpose and point of why they were made. And that's why it's always a mistake to focus on winning what one guy has called temporary crowns. Because you, here's the thing, you should work hard, you should have goals, you should strive hard, uh, you should do your best to be your best in every walk of life. But you do that, as the Bible says, working as unto the Lord and not man. You were not put here to be remembered. In fact, it really is a sobering thought when you think about it that very few people are actually going to remember you for very long after you're gone. I got off of a train by accident in London, England a few weeks ago 
literally standing right in front of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I'd never been to it. I've been to London three times. I'd never been to the, just schedule had kept us from ever going. That's where Spurgeon preached. And we literally came off of the Elephant and Castle tube stop and we were going to another tube stop because we had to make a change because you couldn't get where we're going from where we were and so we had to get off and go outside and we're looking to try to find where the next tube location is and I look up and right across the street was Spurgeon's church. And so we made a couple of pictures there And yet I realized that all those people that were walking up and down in front of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, if I were to take a microphone and said, you know who who pastored this church 100 years ago? They wouldn't have been able to have told me who it was. And then if I would have told them who it was, well, it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They would have looked at me. And you know what? Nine out of ten of them, maybe more than that, would have said, who? Everybody in the city of London in 1880 would have known Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The whole city would have known him. The same is true in our country. The most popular man in 1865 or the most well-known man was Abraham Lincoln. You know who the second most well-known person in the United States was outside of Abraham Lincoln in 1865? Henry Ward Beecher. You don't even know who he is. He pastored the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn, New York. He was the most popular man in America at the time that he lived. And nobody knows who he is today. Forty-five presidents of the United States, most Americans couldn't name half of them if you put a gun to their back. That's how quickly your meteor is going to burn out. I mean, there's only a relative handful of people who are going to be remembered by gobs of people for the long haul. That's why you don't live to make a name for yourself. You live to honor the majesty and glory of God to whom one day we will all give an account and when we stand in the presence of God, that's all that's going to matter. That's all that'll matter. And this is why it's so important to understand this is, this is Jesus' earthly ministry in a nutshell. The most important prayer Jesus ever prayed was his priestly prayer of John 17, and it's a long one, but there in verse 4, he makes this statement, I glorified, he's praying to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's why you're here, right there. To glorify God while on the earth, having accomplished the work that he placed you here to do. So are you with me so far? My life is not an accident. I was fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator who loves me, wants to connect with me in relationship. My life, secondly, is not about me. I exist to honor and glorify the God who's given me life and to fulfill his will and purpose for my life for as long as he gives me life on this earth. And with that in mind, there's a third basic principle. And again, this is, this is nuts and bolts stuff, but you got to get this right. The third basic of life is that my life will never end. It will never end, ever. Can I make this statement? Everybody lives forever somewhere. I'm reminded of that. I was reminded of that those two funerals I went to this week. In fact, I said that at one of them. God's purpose does not just involve the beginning of my life 
the conception of my life. God's will doesn't even just involve what I do with my life. God's purpose involves what will happen when this life is over. Once again, verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard the gospel and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is, watch this, the guarantee of our what? Inheritance until we acquire possession of it, which means we haven't yet if we're still here alive and breathing, but one day we will. The Spirit in us guarantees our inheritance to come until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Translation, this life is not all that there is. This is not even, this is even the majority of your life. This is like what you're living right now in the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that God gives you physical life is like one single grain of sand in the specter of eternity. I mean, it's just that short. It's just that brief. And one of these days, this very brief life will be over. May I say it again? There is a 100% probability that you are going to die. The only thing that will circumvent that is if Jesus decides to come again before you die. Either way, you'll stand in the presence of a holy God and give an account. And then what? What happens next? What happens when this life is over? Well, the existentialist philosophers all say, nothing. You just close your eyes and you go to sleep. Drift into unconscious foreverness of nothingness. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible's clear that we are all created eternal beings. Everybody lives forever somewhere. And those who trust in Jesus Christ and those who follow Jesus Christ as a disciple of his, for them there is, the Bible says, this incredibly, monumentally important, unexplainable, unimaginable inheritance that's waiting for them. It's being kept in heaven. God is shielding it, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1. God is guarding it, and it will never perish, never spoil, never fade away, kept in heaven for you. So never forget, that's fundamentally why we live. This world is not our home, and we make a mistake if we get too attached to it. But that's how most of us live. It's certainly how, most, it's how the lost live. It's how much of Christianity lives. We get really sad when we think about not belonging to the earth anymore. But you ought not get that sad. Because heaven's going to be like really nice. It's going to be like unimaginable. Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has been put into the heart of man those things that God has prepared for those who love him. It would blow your mind if God revealed all of that to you today. You wouldn't know what to do with it. Our citizenship is in heaven, the Bible says. We're pilgrims passing through a foreign land, aliens in possession of a green card. I am here, and life matters while I'm here. And what I do with my life matters, and my family matters, and my work matters. It all matters. But this is not home. And that understanding ought to act as a filter by which every circumstance of your life 
is understood and evaluated. Every decision of your life is made. That ought to be a filter that guides everything that you do in this life. And when we make decisions independently apart from the will of God, it's precisely because we have come to believe that this life is all there is and it's all that matters, the here and now. But that's short-term thinking. We make plans, five-year commitments, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Short-term thinking at best. And many times it'll lead to frustration if that's all that your life is about. It's like riding a stationary bike. Man, you're moving and you're moving and you're going fast. You ain't going nowhere though. That's where frustration comes from. Empty, unfulfilled, not going anywhere with life. That's why you have to live with the right perspective because God created you for eternity. Jesus said in John 6, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes has eternal life. I myself am the bread of life, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Eternity. My life will never end. You know how long eternity is? I've used this illustration before. It'd be like taking planet Earth. I tell you what, let's even go one. How about planet Jupiter? That's bigger than Earth, a lot bigger. It'd be like taking planet Jupiter, fashioning it of solid steel, and then taking one of those little song sparrows from your backyard. Take a little song sparrow, it's about that tall, put it on top of that steel planet Jupiter, and turn him loose to start pecking. And that sparrow pecks, and he pecks, and he pecks, and little by little, he eats in to the steel globe of the size of Jupiter. By the time that little song sparrow had whittled his way all the way through planet Jupiter, eternity would have just started. That's how long it is. Forever and ever. Now, can you see why it's so important to live with eternal, eternal perspective in mind, with eternal life in mind? Because that's who we are. Man, when you understand the world is not all there is, what's on the other side of death is going to last infinitely longer than what's on this side of death, it will color the way that you look at life, and it will radically change your values. It'll change the way you invest your time. It'll change the way you spend your money. It will radically change everything about your life because rather than using what God has given you to please yourself, you'll start using those things to honor Him. 2 Corinthians 4.18, so then we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is what? Say it out loud. Temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. So a life that's lived on purpose is a life that's lived in light of eternity. And that always means living for the approval of God, not for the applause of man. Because one day we'll stand before God and we'll have to give an accounting for how we've spent our life. You will. Now, if that day were today, <clears throat> if this life were to abruptly end and you were to find yourself standing face to face with a holy God, what would God 
say to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've fulfilled your destiny. You have lived your life with the right purpose. Or would God have to say the most dreaded words in the Bible? Depart from me. I never knew you. Which would be his way of saying, you missed the whole point. And tragedy of tragedies, you have wasted your life.